0: So, welcome to the second episode of DNA of AI. Um, today, we are going to do a deep dive into AI and cancer diagnosis. And before we do that, how, how are you, Fama, today?
1: I'm, I'm all right, yeah. Uh, I've had a little bit of stress this week, but nothing that a good bit of boxing and physio um can't fix um and and a good therapy session can't fix so yeah how are you Ian?
0: yeah good good i'm like let's not talk about me today <laughs> let's talk about you
1: okay but we'll have to shift the focus to you at oh. some point um but i'm okay yeah. to, to talk about me today go on yeah
0: yeah, today's topic is around AI in cancer diagnosis, and this this is your area, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so I really want to deep dive into how how your startup is actually, you know, uh, creating creating something that's pretty pretty awesome. I want to say, and um, you know how you got to that point, right? So I think this is like really like um, where I'm curious of, do you remember when you had the idea for this startup? Um,
1: yeah, so um, cancer um, is 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 something that that is quite quite close to my heart in general. Um, my uh, about uh, 13 years ago, almost 13 years ago now, uh, we lost my aunt to cancer. She she died when she was 50. Um, and she was, she was the only uh paternal aunt I had. Um, and I was quite close to her, and um, it, it was quite sad because um, I, I won't go into, into too many details because of you know, obviously, my respect for her and her, her family, but um, you know, being a South Asian uh woman, um, and like a South Asian British woman who grew up in uh in the uk um when there were very few south asian people and then having to kind of try and coexist into you know sort of cultures with her parents being from pakistan and and you know being being british and she she had quite um a challenging life and uh she suffered uh with depression and then she ended up having uh cancer and unfortunately it was stage four when they found it and and then she sadly died and that was really um really quite um like one of like the biggest losses I've ever experienced and something I think about quite a lot um you know and we were we were very close and I'm still very close to um to my cousin her her firstborn daughter um so I wanted to do something that um would make a difference. Like I mentioned in the last episode, um, I don't want to, you know, use AI to sell people stuff. I want to use AI to improve the world. And uh, when I was on my astrophysics course, uh, I met an oncologist, a, a clinical, uh, sorry, a consultant oncologist, um, and he was very interested in the AI uh, work I'd done uh, in the past, especially because we were on an astrophysics course, and I and I'd worked with um my lecturer at university he used to work at nasa and we looked at um my final year project was based on his research uh, around the curiosity rover on mars and so that really fascinated um my my kind of friend and classmate at the time so we went to his hospital one day and he showed me the workflow of cancer and he, he we were looking at lung cancer um as the the proof of concept um, that we can then extend out and what we f- we found were that there were two key areas in the workflow uh, where there were massive wait times uh, and a huge burden on the oncologist which of which there's a shortage and that was in the diagnosis part and then in the treatment where they have to delineate healthy tissue from cancerous tissue and so we thought we could use ai to solve this problem as an assistive tool um to help with uh, long initially lung cancer diagnosis and further extending it out to other types of cancer so that's how the idea was born
0: yeah right fascinating mm-hmm. so if it's okay with you i would like to go back to the point mm-hmm. where, like where there was the connection made between mm-hmm. the loss that you felt mm-hmm. um and to you know do something mm-hmm it do you remember that moment like maybe it's not one moment maybe it's like several moments where where this idea for you like where you felt like i want to do something about this
1: mm-hmm. yeah I, I just felt like um um i think a part of a part of me felt um like uh like could i have done more like we all think this could i have done more for my aunt you know she had like, you know, in a South Asian community, it's not the, you know, it's not nuclear family. Like, you know, we're family is family. And there was, we, we were like close-knit family. So there were a lot of people, um, around her and like, could I have done more for her? Could I have convinced her to go to the doctor earlier? Um, and I felt a sense of, uh, guilt around that. Um, but also, um, I thought, uh, after she sadly died and I did a, a Macmillan cancer uh, kind of uh, uh, a race uh, like a 5k to raise money for Macmillan cancer and you know I felt quite um, like that was a good way of honoring her as well it was in her memory but I felt like well why can't I use my skills um, in technology you know especially when, when things like medical robotics and stuff was coming to the forefront to do something in this space that you know where that takes so many lives and where there's an actual shortage um, of oncologists, where there are um, you know uh, where there's kind of um, a lack of funding in the NHS. Why can't you know we use something that like I have expertise in um, to build something like so that people uh, like my aunt can be diagnosed uh, a lot earlier and a lot quicker. So the cancer doesn't metastasize and then when I met um um my my classmate and my um, friend um something just clicked he was interested in AI I was fascinated by what he did um you know we were both into like astrophysics and space um so we were like yeah let's do this we can we can do this we can we can make a difference like a real genuine difference um in people's mm. lives and 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 the kind of NHS as well
0: Yes, right. Um, The reason why I wanted to go back to that point, because sometimes when we go through a difficult experience, like the loss of a loved one, Mm -hmm. right, it sometimes spurs some energy after, right, like some, some, I don't know, for want of a better word, like almost like a desire for life.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: To make life happen. I don't know if that makes any sense, but uh, yeah, that's why I wanted to really get, get a bit more sense and thank you for you know sharing that. Um, so what I'm also hearing there's there, there are different themes, like another theme is around meeting the right people, mm-hmm. right? Where mm-hmm. you share, you have overlap of interests, but then also, um, something about step even further back about culture,
1: right? yeah, yeah.
0: Can you say a little bit more around your experience of culture and how that influenced all of that, if at all?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think, um, well, um, so I think my culture has um, shaped me in, in in ways. Like, I, I never really um, thought about it much um, until I was about 11, really, and then I thought about it more and more um and i think um like um what i um what i find uh, sometimes uh when we look at things from a very western and capitalist lens things are very i what what can i do what can i do for for myself what can i achieve you know how can i make money Um, what are my needs, which are important things because, you know, without if we don't take care of ourselves, we can't take care of others. But in, uh, like, a South Asian community, it's a we, it's not an I. We're a collective, like, we look after each other, we take care of each other, we take care of each other's needs. Um, Sometimes there are, uh, you know, negative uh, aspects of that, but overall you know, you're doing things like you're part of this like group, you're part of this family and your family is not just your parents and your siblings, it's much wider. Um, And I think that is something that really defines me. Like I don't, um, sometimes to my own detriment, um, I'm not very individualistic. I always want to do things for the greater good, for the community for you know humanity to help people and there's also this messaging um that comes um with you know coming from south asian culture coming from a muslim background about um you know you know taking care of others looking after others showing kindness to others being there for others um and sometimes like uh, you know if you if you look at some of the you know uh theory that the the psychological theory that might give like a perception that there's a rescuer component to all of this but I think it's also um, really really nice and I think that's really helped shape um, my startup and what my startup does is like yeah okay we have to you know pitch to investors we have to try and get grants we have to try and get funding we have to try and make it profitable and um, we have to try and like um, you know sell ourselves and the product to people. Ultimately, the goal is like, um, to kind of, you know, help, uh, you know, detect cancer early, save lives early do it for the for the for the greater good for for people. And to to kind of try and help out the NHS, which is massively underfunded. Um, So that kind of messaging from my culture of doing things for the greater good, and helping others carries forward into my startup and who I am as the CEO and the values that my startup stands for
0: so right um, thank you because you know my family is Muslim too yeah. I, and I grew up in, in a Muslim family in a in a Western Western society right yeah. and I think what we often don't get like uh, like where where there's a, almost like there, there there are certain stereotypes that keep being played when when you talk about mm-hmm. you know religious culture and upbringing and um, you know the words that you used how you describe that was was really nice to hear you know like because there's more to growing up in a Muslim culture than just um, you know being like uh, weird or i don't know what, what, what wonderful uh, oh, anyway so, so um what i wanted to check is a is something in particular right so last week we talked about race
1: mm-hmm.
0: being sometimes um you know with ai problematic right mm-hmm. and um i was wondering what your view on that is
1: it is problematic. It's problematic in many ways. Um, You know, it's problematic from like one of the one of the kind of environments I want to foster in my startup, which I talked about in the last episode, is diversity. Like I try and ensure that my team is made up of diverse people. It's not just a homogenized group. And that means that you know, um, we don't want it to just be South Asian. We don't want it to just be white. We do, we want a mixture of voices and a mixture of people building the product. So we are building the product for everyone because when we don't do that, then we end up with products that only work for certain people. And things like cancer diagnosis, um, we we all know that, and, and one of the reasons um, for, for my aunt sadly passing is, is also because, um, you know, People who look like us are much more reluctant to seek the help early. Uh, we have like generational trauma linked to 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 um, to kind of medicine and and doctors and experimentation. That's why you see so many people in that space who are like anti vax or who are very uh, negative when it comes to um, the kind of um, medical care system, the Western medical care system, um, and so. We want to ensure that we 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 try and, you know, when people see that the product is created by people who look like them, they'd want to be a part of that because we're going to need data sets. We are going to need volunteers. We are going to have to go through clinical trials. We want them to feel safe. We want them to feel like, you know, they're represented. And we want to make sure we create a product that works for, for everyone that catches cancer early on, for everyone, and not just one particular group of people. So that's one component. Of how race plays into the actual making of the product, yeah.
0: Can I check? How does your ethnicity, race, culture impact on
1: that? Um, in, in terms of the product, or in terms of outside of the product, when product uh, in terms of uh, both. Um, <laughs> well, in terms of the product, I'm very, I'm very aware of bias in data. I'm very aware, like, um like an example of this is when what I find is when you when you when this is your lived experience you are going to be automatically aware of these things you're gonna you're gonna if you don't know the statistics or the studies you will seek them out but when you're not when you never had to go through any kind of marginalization you're going to need that pointed out to you and even then there's going to be a resistance towards that so I already like coming in I am very aware of you know, the, the challenges that AI faces with kind of the data sets that it's trained on, you know, there are multiple examples out there which I've talked about, you know, things like uh, Google not detecting brown hands because it's only been trained on white hands for dispensers, DOJ handing out harsher sentences, etc. So So, uh, you know, although at the moment our prototype is being trained on open source data because we, we're not in the NHS at the moment, um, you know there's a high level degree of awareness from the whole team that we need to look at um di- you know diverse data sets we're also looking into the regulatory aspect of ai so currently at the moment myself and my advisors and my team we're looking at what are the regulatory aspects how do we, we put put diversity into that as well um to ensure that the product is is something that's made for everyone, and then when you go through those clinical trial processes, etc., that this is at the forefront um, because this is a big, big problem and a big challenge in AI um, itself. And then, yeah, have you? Yeah, go ahead.
0: So that makes you the person who can hack this,
1: right? Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um. And then you 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 said on the outside. Uh, of the product itself, on the outside of the product, um, that ch- there are there are massive amounts of challenges um, because there's there's a lot of uh, studies out there, um, and like these the, if you just Google it, um, like for instance, um, ethnic minority and women when it comes to f- funding, um, they'll go back as like July 2023, which is pretty recent. Um, and it, you hear things like, um, uh, can you hear some feedback?
0: No
1: okay um, you you've got things like uh, female founded businesses only get two percent of uh, VC funding. VC is venture capitalist. Um, then there were like organizations uh, like innovate UK um, where they they're a government-based organization who give grants to people and it turns out that you know again research uh, that was led by marginalized people, and females wasn't given as much funding and what i've noticed since that study came out now on innovate uk they have like an edi questionnaire uh, for every application so they are trying to do stuff but those challenges exist and like even as recently um as like when i go and pitch to to venture capitalists or angel investors um one example of that is i was trying to explain my idea and the The person I was speaking to was white male, and he's a uh, you know he's got the, he's got all the cards he's got the money he's going to let me tell me if my idea is good or not. He would not let me speak. Every time I tried to speak, he was talking over me. He kept shooting me down. He kept saying that um, I hadn't thought things through. I hadn't done uh, X, Y, Z. Um, and then when I finally got to speak to him, and then explain what we were trying to do, what the problem was, we were trying to solve uh he his interest peaked and then he's like oh okay but if you still do xyz um you know then we can have another conversation please keep in touch so i felt like i just been like hammered hard and then he's like please keep in touch and keep me me updated but it's like why are you why are you going in so hard why are you not letting me speak would you treat somebody who didn't look like me like this and then A more recent example is from this week where um, I found uh, I came across a post on LinkedIn for someone who's working in the AI space and mental health, and it really resonated with me. I felt like, oh, wow, this person's really brave. They're putting themselves out there. Um, And then it turns out they're also a uh, uh, an investor. So I reached out to them. I sent them my pitch deck. So um, before I tell you what happened, my pitch deck has been revised multiple times because of like all the feedback I get from predominantly white male investors on why my pitch deck isn't good. So I had a 10 page pitch deck and then I was told you need to have statistics. You need to have your story. You need to have your USP. You need to have your competitors in there. You need to have all these things. Um, So now my pitch deck, um, it's like it's a it's a very comprehensive pitch deck. So it's quite lengthy. Um it's about 40 slides. Um so that's deviated from their 10 slide pitch deck because I can't get everything they need into 10 slides. Um but also it means that we've also created a pitch deck that's accessible, so not everything is lumped into one slide. Um and um so I sent this pitch deck to this person, again, a white male, and they came back with uh like they responded within like 10 minutes and the and the feedback was I don't know you. I don't know your story. You've sent me a very lengthy pitch deck. You're giving me all these facts and figures. Um, um, this isn't for me. I'm not an expert in this area. You haven't told me who you are and why I should invest in you, or what your USPs, all of the USPs on the pitch deck on a slide called USP. Um, and USPs, unique set a selling point. Um and um I just felt like initially I just felt like, whoa, like um you you've just completely this is just another form of dismissal and like um again what, like people like me who look like me um like um based on like the history of coming from a child of a grandchild of immigrants like the only way we could show our worth to the society we lived in was through academics through grades through metrics through proving our worth right nobody wants to know the brown girl story they just want to know what can you do and then that's that's probably one of the reasons why that's at the forefront of the pitch deck and it's like he doesn't understand that um and there's also a vulnerability to sharing who you are to someone who's in a position of privilege where they can share who they are and they're they're going to be told they're brave but people who look like me, when we say who we are, that's not what, what we get hurt, what we're met with.
0: What is it like for you to tell me here on this podcast publicly who you um, are and what you're about?
1: Well, the thing is, I is that I know this is going to be public, but, like, I always feel safe with you. I've always felt safe with you. <clears throat> so it's easy for me to tell you who who I am. We're friends, and when I talk to you, that space of safety is created but that safety doesn't exist in you know with these strangers these strangers who are who who are not i just want to differentiate they're not the oppressor these individuals are not the oppressor they look like the people who oppressed people like me how can i feel safe enough to share i know i'm asking for money but you know i have put all this effort in but you're not putting the effort in to understand why it wouldn't feel safe for me Well, the first thing for you to see is who I am. Um, And um, yeah, you know, with you, it's like, I've never felt not safe to share who I am or be who I am. So it feels easier. And, you know, we, we share like a common background. I mean, that helps and it makes it easier. And I don't believe that somebody has to come from your background, but they have to be willing to create that safe space for you. And I don't feel like in this space of, angel investors and venture capitalists who are predominantly white men think about that or do that and then someone like me has to point that out on this podcast
0: so so have you come across any investors who aren't white or Um, who are just different
1: i've I've come across a few female investors and i've come across uh, a few who who aren't white and i've come across a few who are female and not white um, and you know it's great to to connect with them but um, the power does seem to lie predominantly with the white male investors um, but it's always nice to see you know and I have reached out but again um, they probably get like so many people reaching out to them um, and um, yeah but the, the, those who have engaged with me uh, have predominantly been white male I'm hoping that maybe so, yes gone i'm hoping that maybe uh somebody out there is listening who's 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 um not uh white male um necessarily will, will hear this and maybe we'll want to reach out and work together oh but i also reached out to because i love tennis and i love serena v- williams and she's got a vc company and i know she's probably gets like thousands of these but i have reached out to her company as well her vc I submitted my pitch deck um but you know, I haven't.
0: Um, right, and again, I mean the white people who are genuinely caring, kind, and interested in, you know, investing in projects that will make a difference in people's lives. So, uh, um, right, um, mm-hmm. yeah, but, and- but I wanted to, you know, just, <clears throat> Go a little bit more deeper. If like, and the other thing I wanted to say is the word the the word that comes to my mind as you're describing, female and brown, intersectionality, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, basically, having intersecting oppressive uh, oppression systems of oppression um, at the same time impacting on you, right? Absolutely,
1: so, yeah, yeah, and I and I do want to give. Um, like I don't want to be disparaging um, of you know of these people. They they are like the people I've engaged with are absolutely lovely people. I for th- this person I spoke to this week, I have a lot of admiration and respect for what he's doing, uh, and like I said, I find him to be brave, and I articulated that to him, um, and I'm you know I'm I'm sure he gets thousands of. Um, know people sending pitch decks um you know asking for money um and i'm just what i'm trying to shine a light on is more how difficult it is uh for someone like me to be as open and vulnerable as he wants me to be because i don't know him rather than anything disparaging about him because in fact i don't feel like he did anything that you know i would consider oh my god this is like so uh, awful and in fact i feel like he made me think about why i don't share my story so he got me thinking and i've got like a meeting later on tonight with my uh graphic designer to maybe like tell try and tell my story and be a bit more vulnerable so he in that respect that was very positive and um and i i also initially uh, before just before we we actually did the brexit um and i think just as the pandemic was hitting i was speaking to a really lovely investor who was white male he was uh, a little bit older he was the most empathetic person i spoke to him a number of times he was very close to investing he was very kind he was very very warm he was very interested when I told him about the diversity issues it just seemed it was just unfortunate that Brexit happened and then he was no longer investing as a result because of the uh, sort of the instability around that Um, so it's not to say be disparaging and to say that you know all this is all white males it's more that this is a systemic issue You know, which you know, the research shows that the articles are showing, rather than anything related to one particular individual.
0: Yes, right, and um, yeah, thank you for acknowledging that, right? I think sometimes it can be like when you talk about race, it could be like, white people are bad. No, no, it's not at all. No,
1: no, yeah, no, absolutely not. They are like, you know, individual level. Um, you know w- 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 you and I both have very diverse groups of friends that includes white people and you know they are like kind and caring compassion on a human level we connect right we are as people we are more alike than we are different it's just that at this systemic level sometimes i wish they would think about things just a little bit more just just that like maybe that like, even if it's just one percent more to like, why has this person sent me like all these facts and figures rather than a story about themselves could it be because of who they are and who that you know where you know uh, where they come from or where their family of origin comes from um, rather than thinking uh, you know one of the other questions they asked me was why have you only raised X amount of money and it's like again that that sounds like a question that comes from a place of privilege i've only raised x amount of money because of the issues i've talked about about how you know again two percent of females are given bc funding marginalized people and females are not given grants as as freely and uh, you know openly um so so i mean i think he could have thought about that himself a bit harder rather than putting it on me as in like what's wrong with you why have you only uh, got, received X amount of money, so it raised X amount of money so far. So,
0: right, today you told your story a lot better.
1: Mm, mm. Yeah, and I've noticed I haven't said much about the startup, but I, I do want to say a bit about the startup. And like I said, what we are trying to do is improve diagnosis and treatment pathways for cancer patients, so using AI-based uh, tools um and um like the like the reason we are doing it um is because um there's like 47 new lung cancer cases a year and then 35 000 people die from lung cancer each year and it, it it's uh it's 21 of all uh, uh the total cancer deaths so it's the most common cause of cancer deaths so that's one of the reasons why we want to start that use that as our starting point um if we can try and solve it for this or or alleviate some of this burden then we can kind of move it out to different types of cancer and it costs the uk uh, economy 2.4 billion um and um if if we were to g- tackle this earlier so the earlier nhs diagnosis of lung cancer it also means the treatment costs would cost much less so for example a stage 1 early diagnosis is 8000 pounds and it's uh it's kind of three in more than three in 10 survive uh, for for more than five years, whereas stage four is 13,100 pounds cost to the NHS and then less than one in 10 survive uh, more than five years. Um, And then just like things like one of the reasons why we're tackling the workflow is because the average waiting time uh, from the symptoms visit to the CT report is 10 days. And then, you know, there's a lot of, there's a shortage of oncologists. I think at the moment it's at 20, 4%, 4% uh, and in the next few years will be like 28%. so you know these tired oncologists there's a potential for errors and it takes a massive emotional toll on patients and their families as well. um uh, yeah so sorry 29% national shortage of clinical oncologists. um and then like covid has increased the backlog of waiting time as well. um and then these oncologists when they're doing the uh, waiting for like 10 days for the CT scan, and they have to assess whether it's cancer or not. If it's cancerous, they then have to sit there and manually contour to one millimeter um, the cancerous tissue from the healthy tissue, which takes like two hours per CT scan. If there's multiple CT scans, it could take longer. So that that in itself is problematic as well, something we could use AI and technology to assist with. yeah so that's one of the reasons why we're doing it and then we like i said we worked through the workflow like we've got all these like diagrams and stuff in our pitch deck you know where the patient comes in and where we would replace it with ai um and what would happen um so yeah and and in terms of my team i just want to give a shout out to my team because you know we've done so much work we've gone through the competitive landscape uh we've we've um you know, looked at things like from every angle, we've looked at the NHS, Um, we've come up with our USP, which is, you know, we're offering a holistic and comprehensive solution. That's just beyond focusing on the diagnosis. And we want to use the AI technology to optimise the entire workflow uh, for lung cancer diagnosis and treatment. So we're not just looking at it um, as like, Uh, a replacement tool but more of an assistive tool and like the team my team is made up of like um um experts like you know we've got um uh, adam who's got a background in in um in pharmacy um and he's like um got that medical background Our advisor works in pharmaceuticals she's got a lot of regulatory background and then uh, we've got a relationship with the university of birmingham so we've got advisors who are like NHS uh, cancer surgeons and work in the engineering department, work in medical space. And then uh, we've got like um, two developers, with very good AI machine learning backgrounds, engineering backgrounds. And then obviously we've got like graphic designer and then there's me. So, you know, my team deserve a lot of kudos too, because they have put so much work into this um, to try and make this happen.
0: Yeah, thank you. <laughs> So we're at time for today. And just before you wrap up.
1: Well, before um, we we wrap up, I wanted to share something. Um, just so that it gets people thinking. Um, and this is from um a book by Jasper Cole called Brown Girl Like Me. Um, and um I just want to share this little excerpt from it because I think it really it really res like really hone in the message of why, especially South Asian girls have such a hard time selling themselves so is it okay if I just read this bit of course so it goes um, South Asian girls are actually some of the smartest students in the country Uh, fact at every academic level they follow closely behind Chinese boys and girls in terms of academic achievement yet despite this during my years as a teacher I have found that Asian girls are the least likely to put their hand up in class. They're the least likely to get involved in class debates or put themselves forward for prestigious roles. This despite the fact that 53 percent of Asian girls achieved an average attainment um, eight, which is equivalent to an A star across their GCSEs, which is way above the national average. Beyond the classroom, later in life, even though an increasing number of brown women have college or university level qualifications, South Asian women, especially Bangladeshi and Pakistani Muslim women, remain among the most excluded and lowest paid sections of the labor force. I'm sure many of you have already heard the oft-quoted statistic that there are more FTSE 100 CEOs named Stephen David than there are women and ethnic minority leaders combined. And more widely, data from the Office for National Statistics Labour Force survey suggests that Muslim women are up to 65% less likely to be employed than white Christian women of the same age and qualifications. How can this make sense? It's clearly not because brown women are not hardworking. Accolades prove that. So why is that not translating into opportunities later on in life? Is it, of course, because of the wider oppressive structures at play, structures to do with uh, our gender, ethnicity, and perhaps even our class? Unfortunately, structural racism and sexism are just very, very clear. Is so. Where where does all this, uh, where does this all start? And more importantly, what do we do about it? How can we take some of this power back and empower ourselves? And I find that really moving. So, if anyone wants to read this, it's a book called Brown Girl Like Me by Jasper e. Cor. And more recently. I was on a diversity call, call with a uh, like-minded people for this diversity group and something someone said, and they said, I was gonna attribute the quote to them, but they said it's not their quote, but they said, if you don't let me at your table, I will make my own table. So that's really stuck with me this week as well. So I just wanted to to finish on that.
0: Thank you. That's a nice point to end for us.
1: Mm-hmm.